0: Isaiah chapter 11, which is where we, we left off at 10 last, last time, uh, there's some really uh, interesting things here, messianic things. So chapter 11, uh, verse 1, let's just deal with that. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots, Shall bear fruit. Uh, remember, as we finished chapter ten last time, the prophet used kind of this image of a bunch of cut down stumps as being the uh, the end of uh, was it Assyria? I believe yes, that they'll eventually be brought down and be like a, a former forest who was left with stumps, and he continues that thought of stumps and using the stump now Uh, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and his branch from his roots shall bear fruit so we know that our Lord descended from the family of Jesse well David but I mean Jesse David right and we're (laughs) not (laughs) David's dad Yes, yeah. yeah, 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 yes, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So uh, we might just pause here. Uh, well, one other thing. When it, you, in my version it says, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. We've talked about this before. This branch here is netzer in Hebrew, and I think that's where we get the play on words in Matthew, he shall become a Nazarene. Uh, you will look in vain in the Old Testament to find that phrase that he shall be a Nazarene it's not there uh, but I think it is there here it's, it's, a, it's a play on words in Hebrew and so forth uh, alright so the stump of Jesse this I think uh, points to a crisis in the kingly line uh, of Messiah and so that's what we're gonna do here with my visual aid that some of you have seen before, but I don't think we can do this too often anyway. Alright. So these are the genealogies of of Christ, right? Like right. one in, in Matthew, one in Luke. And as you know, as you've read your Bible, these do appear to be somewhat different. Uh, so scholars have come up. I mean, there's different explanations. You can, you can go with various explanations on this. This is the best one I've found. Um, and I found it in Smith's Bible Dictionary, version of 1898. Yes. It's a four-volume set of Smith's Bible Dictionary. The Union Library was giving it away, getting rid of it. I said, could I have it? They said, sure. It's fantastic. There's a scholarly article in those four volumes about just about everything in Scripture. If you want to read a scholarly article about X topic, it's there. Anyway, this is the explanation from there, so I'm not taking credit for this at all. But uh, we have the kingly line coming down through Solomon and this is the one in Matthew and it goes on down. And then there's another line in Luke. The interesting thing about it is that you get all these different names here on the Luke line and then the, these are the kings. You can trace these through in First Kings, Chronicles and so forth. This is the kingly line uh, of Israel. But at some point in time, well, as you read these genealogies, they join back together here with a guy named Shealtiel. And then the lines are coincident for four generations, from Shealtiel to Zerubbabel. He's a famous one in Nehemiah and some others that he's mentioned and there's two others that seem to be the same person, but they have some different names sometime in Scripture. Anyway, But there are four generations here in which these Luke and Matthew genealogies are the same, and then for some reason they depart again. Okay, let's talk about this. One. So, uh, these are the kings of, Israel, of Judah here. And these names change, which makes it I mean, you've got to ferret this stuff out. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's not easy, you know. These names change. This one here, I usually call this Jehoihim here, it's written here as Jehoi-chim with an I M in Scripture. And this last one is Jehoiachin with an I M. That's the way I usually think about these last two here in Israel. So we get this Jehoiachin, he's the ruler of Israel. Uh, then the the Babylonians are beginning to uh, threaten Israel, and then we get into Jeremiah's prophecy here. You know, and he's saying, "Look, if you will give up, you can stay alive. If you try to fight the Babylonians, you will die." My prophetic word for you is take out the white flag and surrender. Surrender. <laughs> surrender. Jehoiachin does surrender. Okay? And he's taken to Babylon indeed. Uh, as the scripture says, that Nebuchadnezzar provided him a seat at the king's table and he fed him good for the, re- for the rest of the captivity. <laughs> but he's in Babylon. As Jehoiachin goes to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar appoints Zedekiah, who is an uncle of Jehoiachin, he would be a brother here of of Jehoiachin. Zedekiah appoints him king of Israel. And he rules for some years. I mean, under Babylonian sort of control. Then Zedekiah, who I don't have listed here, but he was ruling as king of Israel, he was actually part of this line. Zedekiah rebels against Nebuchadnezzar as an armed rebellion. Nebuchadnezzar comes down and defeats him. He takes all of Zedekiah's children out before Zedekiah and slaughters them, and then he puts out Zedekiah's eyes. Mm -hmm. It's all in the Bible. Uh, Okay, so Zedekiah, mm, well, I guess... In terms of descendants, I guess my point is Zedekiah could have been a legitimate kingly descendant in this kingly line. In, in a certain sense, he was. But he has no children. They're all killed. All right, so now we get to the last sitting king of Israel who is Jeconiah. Sometimes he's called Koniah, sometimes Jehoiachin, different names. It's, it can be confusing. Yeah. Okay, if someone were to look up Jeremiah chapter it should be 2230 and we'll read that. Uh, we might need to go a few, but Jeremiah 2230, if you would read that one, please. It's a little known, I think, prophecy.
1: Thus saith the Lord, "Write to this man, child is a man that shall not prosper in these days, for no man at his seat shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah.
0: Okay. Yes. Uh, all right. So he's talking about this one here, Jeconiah, Jehoiachin. Mm. Let me let me let's let's start at verse twenty-four and read that again. That, that prophecy in Jeremiah about this king. As I live, declares the Lord through Zokoniah. That this is him right here. This one right here. Zokoniah. It's this one here. The son of Jehoiakim. It's this one here. King of Judah, wear a signet ring on my right hand, yet I will tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country. So that happened where you were not born and there you shall die and that happened but to the land to which you long to return there they shall not return in other words you'll never go back to Israel this one this last last one here is this man Koniah, a despised broken part a vessel no one cares for why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land that they do not know this is what is, has caused me a little bit of stumbling here He and his children, uh, well, I used to think and believe, according to this prophecy, that this man did not have any children. Maybe he did. Uh, But if so, then they're all cast into Babylon. They go into Babylon. 29, O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. So whether he had children or not, like Zedekiah evidently all his children died they all passed away Uh, um, so I mean I I don't know whether he was childless or whether all his children were killed I don't know Uh, verse 30 thus says the Lord write this man down as childless a man who shall not succeed in his days for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah now we can take this prophecy in two ways One is that he had no offspring to succeed on the throne of David. Uh, I believe that is true. But even if he did, there's not going to be any political throne of David anymore. So this is the last sitting king of well Zedekiah, really. But this is the last sitting king of Judah here. And after that, after we get into all this line over here, okay, it's a kingly line, but these guys are, you know, uh, breaking horses and plowing ground and being a carpenter as in Nazareth and all of this. I mean, they're true descendants of this king, but I mean, they didn't live as kings. I mean, they were just common people and all that. But they were in that kingly line. So according to this prophecy in Jeremiah... We get into a crisis here of the kingly line as in there are no physical descendants to keep going here. Either he didn't have any or they were all killed. I don't don't know which, but that happened. So as you read the genealogies, however, this is the next error right here, Shealtiel. So what's happening? This has to have been what happened. This one here, Neri, whoever he is, Incidentally, this one here, Nathan, this is Solomon's brother. This is a, he's a legitimate son of David here. I mean, it's, this is not Nathan the prophet. It's another Nathan. And for some reason, Luke lists all these, you know, that, that we don't know much about, really, in the scripture and all this. So when we get down to Neri, according to the law of levirate marriage, that is L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E, The brother of the dead brother who has no descendants must take the dead brother's wife and have children by her. It's called liberate marriage. I think this is what happened. So this one here, Neri, evidently through the wife of Jehoiachin, had a son. His name was Shealtiel. He wasn't actually a descendant here, if you want to think that this man had no natural children, however it went. But le- he is a legal descendant through levirate marriage. He, he is this man's son by this guy. It's called levirate marriage. Mm-hmm. So both of these genealogies converge here with this one. So Tiel becomes the legitimate if you will, king of Judah. I mean, he never reigned. He's, I mean, he's in captivity. <laughs> he never reigned. Then this Shealtiel has a son called Zerubbabel, and he's more famous. We hear a lot about him, you know, and Nehemiah, I believe, and Ezra, and, you know, Zerubbabel's going to do this, and he's going to do that. And, and I think he, I, Oh, you can help me here, I think he makes it back to the land of Israel. I think Zerubbabel does make it back. Yeah, he's the governor. Okay, yes. And then the line goes on to these two. We don't know much about them. And then for some reason, uh, Luke begins to list another legitimate descendant here of of this kingly descendant. So these are all legitimate kingly descendants. These are all legitimate kingly descendants. Well, through this man here. And that's about as far as I can go. Evidently, what happens, and this is speculation on my part now, these lines here from Luke and from Matthew, again, list a common uh, ancestor here. My guess is that the line fails again here, and we have leverate marriage again, and this one is, is produced here in my tab. Once we get here, we're almost done. Matat or Matan has two sons, Heli and Jacob. And I may have Joseph and Mary reversed here. I'm sorry about that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, one of these sons has a son named Joseph. One of these sons has a son named Mary. And Mary, and Jesus is born through Mary. The wife of Joseph and the ancient church always assumed and taught that Joseph and Mary were first cousins. That's a fairly common teaching in the early church. So there you have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. That's a lot. That's a, a bunch of talk about what genealogy. What
1: was the Daniel? Oh, the Daniel the says that
0: uh, Daniel, <laughs> I just had that in the, the stone, is cut out without hands. So. Oh,
2: okay.
0: This one here is born without human intervention. Mm. That's it, friends. Your genealogy lesson. For did uh, you that from Ancestry.com? <laughs> no. Uh, I'm not even interested in my Ancestry from Ancestry.com. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that, I believe, is how that prophecy works in, in Jeremiah to write this man down as childless. So, so let's go back to Isaiah then. Chapter uh, 11. And we've been dealing with verse 1. Um, so we did all that now let's go to verse 2 as Isaiah talks more about this shoot that will come out of this almost dead stump of Jesse but it's not quite dead, it keeps going and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord interesting there, right? that there are seven Spirits of God that are listed there that will rest on the Messiah. Seven, as we know, is a number of completeness or perfection in Scripture. So this is a perfect filling of the Holy Spirit as He bears all these, uh, well, fruit, you might say. Uh, so, I thought, as an exercise, this is not, I mean, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't put this down as the total meaning here of this passage, but as an exercise, I thought it might be interesting to compare these seven spirits of God with the seven churches in Revelation uh, and see what these churches need or see if this applies. Mm -hmm. So this begins... uh, Well, let's see where those seven churches begin. It begins with Ephesus. Chapter 2, what verse... Yeah. 2 1. Okay, let's go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, and just uh, two. look at this. Okay. Ephesus. to the angel of church in Ephesus write out the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Incidentally, if you you want to trace this out, you can read the book of Revelation and look for the number seven. I mean, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. (laughs) It's everywhere in Revelation. Or count these things up. There are usually seven of these, seven of those, and go. uh, if we compare that with these spirits of the Lord here, the, spirit, uh, the first of these spirits of the Lord in chapter 2 is the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So the Ephesian church needs a filling of the Holy Spirit in general. This is a, this is a doctrinal church, the Ephesian church. I mean, they're good in terms of doctrine. I mean, they're very sound. Maybe a lot more than these other churches. They, they need a motivation by the Holy Spirit is what they need. So that's for the Ephesian church. Number two, the church in Smyrna. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested for ten days. You will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. There's no real rebuke to the church in Smyrna. It's a church under persecution. Um, So the second of these spirits of God, then, is the spirit of wisdom. So we might say that's what they need. They need the spirit of wisdom to understand what's going on. I mean, it's a church under persecution. That's it. I mean, God's holding them up, so they need to understand where they are and their their purpose in God's plan, which I'm sure He does have a purpose for all of these things, for all of this suffering. The third one of these churches is Pergamos. Let's go there. This is verse 12. Into the angel of the church in Pergamum, right? The words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might, might eat food sacrificed to idols, and to practice sexual immorality. The problem in the church of Pergamus is sexual immorality. The uh, third of these uh, spirits then is the spirit of understanding. Uh, they need to understand what's going on here. They need to understand that the profession of faith... And sexual immorality don't go together. Maybe we have that problem in the modern church. You know? I see that hand, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I see another one. <laughs> yeah, there's another one on there. Yeah. Uh, profession of faith and sexual immorality, I mean, these are two different worlds. I mean, maybe they need to understand that. We're going to get the same thing in the next church, which is Thyatira. Well, if I can jump in. Please do. The doctrine of Balaam is persuasion. Persuasion into sin. Uh So it's, you know, being persuaded by the culture to adopt its way. Indeed. So we need understanding there. Very good. Very good. Uh, Next is Thyatira. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God, whose eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works your love and faith and service, patient endurance, that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality. The problem in Thyatira is also sexual immorality. Uh, the spirit uh, of God here, that be uh, number, uh, whatever the number is, uh, would be... Yeah, four would be the spirit of counsel. They need the spirit of counsel. Precisely, the church at Thyatira needs some strong preaching against all forms of sexual immorality. Now I'll tell you a story. Uh, The church that my daughter and son-in-law have recently left uh, have had about maybe four pastors in a row who had who have had to leave because of sexual immorality in a row? You know, they say that women sometimes have more intuitive insight than men. I think that's true. And my daughter Sarah, uh, although you might not think so, <laughs> but she she has some in, she has some insight. Sarah's insight about this particular church, in which they left, is she thinks that this church is riddled with sexual immorality and that God is giving them a prophetic sign. Every preacher who comes commits sexual immorality. He has to leave. The next one comes, he leaves. The next one comes, he leaves. The next one comes, he leaves. What do the elders do about it? Nothing. There's no preaching about sexual continence or marriage in that church. They don't address it. So what's going to happen? Well, it just has to keep going on world without end Mm -hmm. somebody's got to address it okay that's Sarah I think she's right (laughs) alright next is the church in Sardis and that is number five which is the spirit of might I think this is this is a good one here And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Again, the seven spirits of God. I mean, it's amazing, you know. And Isaiah, you've got these seven spirits of God that rest on this, this one, you know. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So, strengthen the things that remain is the word for the church in Sardis. The uh, fifth of these spirits is the spirit of might. And that's what they need. Uh, They need to strengthen the things that remain. So, you need a spirit of might. It it fits. Uh, Sixth, the church in Philadelphia... the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but a little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. So uh, they have an open door set before them. The sixth of these spirits then is the spirit of the uh, knowledge spirit of knowledge so the strength of the Philadelphia church is that they have an open door, they've kept the word of Christ so therefore they have an open door set before them, they need the spirit of knowledge by which they can discern this open door I mean I think that might be true for us too, I mean maybe there is an open door set before us in ministry, but I mean, don't ask me exactly what it is, I mean, we're going to have to discern it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And lastly, the church in Laodicea, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot, would that you were either cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm, and not hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The last of these spirits of, of God is the fear of the Lord. So perhaps this is the word for the in church. Their problem is that they're lukewarm. So they need the spirit of the fear of the Lord, which might cure, will cure their lukewarmness. As we've said before, we know a lot of people who have come to Christ through hell and brimfire preaching. Maybe, maybe we need more of that in our modern world. To cure our lukewarmness. All right, uh, I could, I wouldn't claim that this is, you know, the way to go here in Isaiah. I just thought it was an interesting exercise, you know, in reading through that. All right, I'm going to continue here unless somebody has something you want to say. I would, we can, can do that. Jim, yes. Church this year be we
1: don't. In the world,
0: there you go. So I pray God
1: for that person. Uh, amen. Yes. And the importance of preaching and teaching. About Absolutely. Is what we need. Yes. And preach it like you're saying the truth. What our problem is. What our problem system. is.
0: To attack it, yeah. And we need discernment for these things. I say discernment is
2: extremely important no matter where because that was the problem of the ancient Hebrews. It's like, well, that can't be the Messiah. It's uh, he's a carpenter's son and everywhere you go if you get too much knowledge you become prideful you know, I mean even to the point like, uh, what's that you call it an airplane, if God meant man to fly, fuck fuck you know, yeah. <laughs> and that's, I think that's a real big danger, especially in the church, too much knowledge without discernment and humility because you hear all the time about uh, church, uh, places that start being churches and they turn into cults because the leader, I know everything. This, you do what I tell you to do yeah. because I have the knowledge. Yeah. Like that's that's a big thing on the Mormon yeah. church, you know. Uh-huh. It's it's pretty much a worship of the leadership. Uh-huh. And yeah. sometimes even Catholicism, and sometimes even people that say, you know, that's how that's yeah. how
0: ministers fall. They get to, they they get drunk on the power so uh-huh. to speak. Yeah. Well, we need humility in the service. Yeah. Good. All right, verse three. We're talking about this shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse now. Verse 3 of chapter 11 And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Uh, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall slay the wicked. <clears throat> Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. We're getting more into the millennial kingdom, it seems now, in verses 6 and 7. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young, the, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den and they shall not hurt or destroy all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Is evidently is the end, the millennial kingdom that Christ in, in introduces. Verse 10. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. Now, this is interesting. Uh, Not only is this one coming, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, he is also the root of the tree of Jesse. Mm -hmm. Jesus used this to good effect, as you remember, against the Pharisees in Matthew 22, Mm -hmm. verses 41 through 46. If someone would look that up and read that, it's a great passage. This is Matthew 22... 41 through 46. Jesus is going to ask a riddle. Forty-one, Yes, 22, 41 through 46.
3: Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, Mm -hmm. saying... The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from
0: that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. <laughs> so, really, Isaiah sets the riddle going here in his prophecy, and Jesus more or less picks it up, and I mean, in his own uh, divine words, restates the, the riddle. Connor. Well,
3: to your point about Isaiah starting the riddle. Yes. Um, in Isaiah 9 or 11, uh, 1, when mm. we started, mm-hmm. there shall come forth a root from the stump of Jesse. Well, mine says shoot. Okay, the Septuagint translates it rod or scepter. There shall come forth a mm-hmm. scepter. Really?
0: <laughs> from the a ruler of Jesse. Okay. So that's,
3: well, that's Psalm 2. That's, you know, yes. that's exactly what. Christ is saying this is about. This is about the rulership of Christ coming from the
0: lineage of Jesus. Absolutely. And I, yeah. I think more paradoxical also, I think what Christ is, is asking the Pharisees is how can the Christ be both the root and the shoot of Jesse? I mean, how can Christ form Jesse and also be born from Jesse? Or Mary, create <laughs> yeah, Mary. Yeah, yeah, a good answer is because he's God. That's that's uh, that would be one way he could do it. Yes, because he created Jesse, but then he condescends to be to come to us as Jesus of Nazareth through the Virgin Mary. That's how he does it. Well, but I mean, how would they know that? You know, the the images are this this shoot.
3: That is coming out of a dead place. Yes. And that's how he shows himself.
1: Yeah.
0: Resurrection. resurrection. Mm-hmm. And he becomes the very root of life itself. That's it. Also, we can go some directions on this. Yes. i got
1: a footnote here that I like too. It says bear fruit. He's continuing bearing fruit, and we continue to bear fruit. Well, yes. While the spirit living, it never dies. There's,
0: there's the root yeah. Well, absolutely, yes. There's uh, some interesting parallels
2: I think with the flood as well, because uh, Noah trusted God even though everybody was telling him you're an idiot, and he built the ark out of gopher wood I believe it was. Yes. And you mentioned like the shoot from the tree. Basically, God used the uh, the remnants of the tree and the ch- ch- whatever to uh, save the world from sin and redeem the people. And fast forward to the cross, which I've read some theories that the cross was made out of overwood as well. No kidding. Wow. So there again, you have the tree, protection from destruction and salvation. And God being compassionate, he just didn't bring it on. There was a period that he was warning people, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. I mean, so you have the wrath of God, but the compassion of God is always there right along with it. Praise the Lord. Because yes. like the thing now is that a lot of people ask him, If your God is so good, why he's why does he allow people to go to hell? He says, Well God uh, God did not create God created uh, hell for demons and his angels. It's humans that choose not to accept, that send themselves to hell. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, that's why we do evangelism, eh? <clears throat> they uh, <clears throat> my father uh, as he was clearing his place out with trees and stuff down in Mississippi. Occasionally he would have to get his uh, his aides out and chop away on this tree. It had real, real hard wood. They called it a dark. I don't know if you have that word. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: French.
0: It's French. It, it, <laughs> Why <wide laughs> dark? It means a wood of the ark. So this tree is hard as art. <laughs> it's not <laughs> <high laughs> <laughs> Boat tree. <laughs> if if is, you ever is, get a chance to go up and see the ark, you know, I've seen it. It's yes, okay. great. If you see these gigantic timbers, yes, that they've I guess <laughs> steamed in some way that they can bend them. Oh, it's amazing. The, yeah, it's the, amazing.
3: Uh, I mean, it's just to me, it seems
0: impossible. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's is, amazing.
3: Is, is that a known kind of? Is that a known kind of wood? Gopher wood. I
0: don't, I don't know what it, it, is. I, yes, it is. I, I expect it is. I don't think it, is. it says nope. in a lot of these
3: Bibles the meaning of this word is uncertain. Well, but, oh, yeah. well
0: I mean, I expect it has a meaning, but we I may mean, not know an, what it it's is. An,
3: uh, it's an Akkadian loan word. It means reeds. It's like a reed basket.
0: Oh, oh man, really? that doesn't sound like an ark, though. Well, uh-huh. it's,
3: it's like it, it's the same it's the same word as Moses. Yeah, that's you know, true.
2: The, the ark, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. Word. Yeah, that's true. It's kind of interesting how when God asks humans to do something, he knows that without him it's impossible. Like, if you look at the whole logistics things of building the ark that would carry two of everything, and somebody figured out the dimensions and whatnot, that if it was just Noah putting it together, more than likely it would be impossible, like an impossible logistics feat. And David was talking about how they bent the wood. I think that sometimes God gives you something so impossible to do that when you do it, you have no choice but to say, hey, well, it wasn't me alone. It was, it was God. God. <laughs> to the point where humanity looks and says, that must have been impossible. How did it happen? Open to evangelism. think <laughs> uh-huh. does it on purpose a lot.
0: Very good. Yeah, good. Let's go to verse 11 then. And that day... And this is now where it, sort of in the new age that Christ will bring in. And that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant, the remains of his people. Now look at all these places. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Uh, Shinar is Babylon. Uh, Egypt, Pathros, I've forgotten. Cush is Africa. Elam, I've forgotten. But anyway. Cush is... Um, yes. Yes. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. No more warfare between these folks. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west. And together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them, and the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels and will lead people across in sandals. Uh, And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel. When they came up from the land of Egypt. Uh, really, all I have here, I mean, this seems to me to be sort of end of time, kind of out in the distant, uh, kind of prophetic future, uh, the new in the kingdom of God. But I wanted just to comment on verse 16. There's going to be a highway there from Assyria down to the people of God. Well, Assyria is, uh, we've been reading Isaiah, Assyria is the big enemy here. of of Judah and Israel. So evidently there's coming a time, I would say, when not only Jews, but also Assyrians, will make their way to the people of God. I mean, in other words, you know, evangelism is going to go out through the whole earth. I mean, there are going to be people from all these tribes that will be converted. I mean, wherever they are, I mean, Maybe people we don't like. I mean, some of those people are going to be converted, for sure. Go ahead, Jim. to okay. the That's it. Quick testimony and also
1: awesome picture of how God works and how strong not am. Yesterday morning, waiting on David Bryan, the, the humble boy on the school was in, long beard. He, he had a speech in school, a little younger than me. People made fun of him. Just all about all those years. And Dave was late, and the Lord sort of prompted me, and I went over and sat down. And his name is Dave. Everybody called him Red. I said, Red, how you doing? He talked for a minute or two. I said, Red, I said, I've never really talked to you. I said, all the years in school I was older than you. And I said, I'd like to talk to you about something. I said, have you ever thought about dying? He's got high blood pressure, and mm-hmm. now you're He's got a bearded yeah, guy. He's not a pretty guy, yeah. and all of this. And but God loves him. And I said, "Well, I want to share with you the love of Jesus." Mm-hmm. And, and I began to talk. He said, "I believe in Him." Right. Good. He uh, he worked with a power company up in McKinsey and he was electrocuted, but he was knocked down oh, real hard. Oh, they put him in a helicopter, shot him, get him back. Oh boy! And he said. I believe in Jesus, and He came to me. Now, this is not like a normal sharing, the Roman road or anything. I believe this man's saved, and yeah. Yeah. he's still like he is. He feels sort of bad about himself, but he's given a good testimony probably, that he's believed in Christ. That's all I need to hear.
0: Praise the Lord! And yes, so, there you are. Praise the Lord. All right. <laughs> Okay, that's all I have for today. Thank you for your attention. And we will see you in the further services of the morning.